things I have never seen before. What words, what wonderful words. The Bible says, uh, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. How many of you, that's your prayer this weekend? Lord, open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I want to ask you to just bow your heads once more as we pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> what a momentous time we are living in. Lord, you are looking for a people who will dig deep to find the truths of your word and to make those truths known to a world in darkness. Help us, Lord. Help me as I present tonight. May our eyes be open. May we see Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, Bible study is really all about seeing Jesus, isn't it? That's what we ultimately want to see. That's who we ultimately want to see. We want to see Jesus. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 7, verse 15. Tonight's message is entitled, The Nature of the Book. The Nature of the Book. This is a message, but it is also a class, if you will. Tonight, I will be reading extensively from the spirit of prophecy, laying the foundation for understanding this book that we call the Bible. John chapter 7, John chapter 7, beginning with verse 14, the Bible says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? What an opening text. <laughs> How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus did not go to the schools of his time. Many of you may not have the privilege to go to one of our schools for um, theological training. You have other things in your career. Some of you are older. Whatever the reason may be, um, you may not have the privilege of sitting under in one of our schools to, to actually learn the various methods of Bible study. And, and, and this is kind of the scenario we're looking at here. They're asking, how could Jesus have learned the Bible so well not having letters? And uh, I want to suggest to you that if Jesus could learn the Bible not having gone uh, to our schools, then no matter who you are, what your profession is, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, uh, you don't have to be a theologian in order to
to understand the depth of this book. Amen? Amen. And so there is hope for you. <laughs> there is hope. I thought I'd read this in a couple of different translations. The English Standard Version says, The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? International Standard Version, the Jews were astonished and remarked, how can this man be so educated when he has never gone to school? Contemporary English Version, the leaders were surprised and said, how does this man know so much? He has never been taught. Yet we should not worry, because you'll remember that on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit on unlearned fishermen. In fact, if you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Do we have any ignorant men in here? Don't raise your hand. This is just... Unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been, what? With Jesus. Amen. Beloved, the most important point that you can walk away with this week about Bible study is this. If you have been with Jesus, if you have been with Jesus, he can do incredible things for you and through you. Amen. We want to talk this evening about the nature of scripture. This book that you hold in your hand, what is it all about? How do we approach it how do we open the word up what is the mindset that we must have what is the mentality that we must have as we approach the word of God I believe that in order for us to truly break open the scriptures we must understand the nature of the scriptures Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 notice with me Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 by the way, some of you are wondering, Pastor, do I need my concordance tonight? No, you don't need your concordance tonight. We've asked you to bring your concordances. If any of you have our laptops that you brought Bible programs on, those are for you to use in your free time here. We want to encourage you. <laughs> we want to encourage you while you're here to go back to your rooms and break open the scripture for yourself. This is... A boot camp, if you will. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says, For the word of God is what? Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's read this in another translation. English Standard Version says this, For the word of God is living and active. Let's pause right there. The word of God is what? Living, living 
and active. The book that you hold in your hands is a living, dynamic book. It is an active book. And when we approach it, we should approach it as a living thing. Does that make sense? Christ Object Lessons, page 127. Ellen White says this, Christ in his teachings presented old truths of which he himself was the originator. Truths which he had spoken through patriarchs and prophets, but now he shed upon them a new light. How different appeared their meaning. A flood of light and spirituality was brought in by his explanation. And he promised that the Holy Spirit should enlighten the disciples, that the word of God should be ever unfolding to them. Should be what, everyone? Ever unfolding. That means it is alive. It is ever unfolding. We never get to the place where we say we have unfolded everything. When we approach the scripture in that manner, we automatically cut ourselves off from the blessing that God has in store for us. She goes on to say they would be able to present its truth in new beauty. Now, now let, me, let me pause here for a minute. How many of you have heard a truth and you've heard it over and over and over and over again so often that before the preacher gets it out of his mouth, you know what he's going to say. You ever heard that? <laughs> and sometimes your mind shuts down because you're like, I've what? I've heard this before. Well, when Jesus comes on the scene, notice what Jesus did. He took all truths and presented them in such a way that made the people go, wow. He presented nothing new. He simply took all truths and showed them in a new light. Ever since the first promise of redemption was spoken in Eden, the life, the character, and the mediatorial work of Christ have been the study of human minds. Yet every mind through whom the Holy Spirit has worked has presented these things in a light that is fresh and new. Think about that. How many people have come to Christ since the beginning of time? We don't know. Billions. And we're reading here that the Holy Spirit presents the same truth to each mind in a different way. Wow. That is the depth of this word. A person can preach on John 3.16 from now to the end of his life and never preach the same sermon twice. <laughs> unfolding she goes on to say the truths of redemption are capable of listen to this sentence let me read it slowly the truths of redemption are capable of constant development and expansion now think about that in fact think about this we are told in heaven that we will look at the cross and find a new truth throughout the rest of eternity. 
Now, if that is true, how dare we approach the word of God as though we have mastered it? As though there's nothing else for us to know. Oh, I know the 27 fundamental doctrines. <laughs> fundamental beliefs. No, 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 no. There is so much more in the word of God. And the problem with many of us is that we approach the word of God as though there's nothing else to learn. We know it already. We know about the Sabbath. We know about the state of the dead. We know about this. We know about that. So we know the truth. So what? But, we, but, but, but here we are seeing that the scriptures, the truth of, of redemption, are capable of constant development and expansion. Though old, they are ever new. Constantly revealing to the seeker for truth a greater glory and a mightier power. A greater glory and a mightier power. The more we study the word of God, we will see a greater glory and a mightier power. Do those two words ring a bell for you, Bible students? Revelation chapter 18 verse 1 tells us that an angel descends having great power and glory. This we understand to be the loud cry that is to go forth into all the world. So the question then is, what is it that brings about the loud cry? A study of the ever-expanding word of God. Are you following me? Child Guidance, page 505, in the most simply stated truths are involved principles that are as high as heaven and that compass eternity. In the most simple stated truths. How many times have you read a verse and not even paid attention to the verse because you thought that you knew exactly what the verse was saying? Oh, I know the verse. How much we miss when we possess what I call a spiritual lazy eye. <laughs> Child Guidance 511, if we would study the Bible diligently and prayerfully every day, we should every day see some beautiful truth in a new, clear, and forcible light. If we were to study the scripture every day, prayerfully, every day, we should find something that would make us go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have to tell somebody this. Is the word of God really living? When you look at the ocean, it's beautiful. You know, you're standing off on the seashore. Man, look at the ocean. It's beautiful. When you get up in the water, oh man, this is really beautiful. Where are the real treasures of the ocean? Underneath the surface. And so many people are surface readers. Failing to go underneath the text, failing to understand that there are greater implications in the word of God. And so we have that lazy eye, that lazy attitude, and because of it, we miss the deep treasures of the word of God. Let me throw a word out to you. Exegesis. 
What is it? Exegesis is the attempt to discover the meaning of the text by seeking to understand the author's intent. What was the intent of the author as he wrote? What were the circumstances surrounding uh, that time, the culture? And all these various tools that we use to exegete the text. And basically, it boils down to the author's intent, authorial intent. And so as we begin to study the scripture, it is important for us to understand what was Moses' intent as he wrote the book of Genesis and Exodus. What was Paul's intent as he wrote his books, Galatians and onward? However, I want to suggest that there is something even more important than understanding the intent of Moses and Paul. You see, the reason why, 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 why people seek to understand their intent is because the best way to understand what is written is to understand the person who wrote it. So they want to get into the mind of Moses. What was it that Moses was thinking? How can we connect with his mind? What, may he, what was his understanding as he wrote? And in seeking to get into the mind of the author, we can better understand what the verse was saying. Well, listen, the Bible tells us that the scriptures are ultimately authored by God. God is the divine author of the word of God. And so if that is the case, then the highest form of exegesis is to figure out the intent of the author. What did God intend as this was written? This is the highest form of studying the word of God. We have to get connected with the mind of the author. The best way to know what is written is to try to get and see what was the author thinking? What was he feeling? Now, we've got a problem. Right here, we are presented with a problem. Here's the problem. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus here is speaking, and he says this. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. What's the problem? We want to know the intent of the divine author. But we cannot know the divine author. Only Jesus, the Son, knows the Father. Are you following me? Only Jesus knows the Father. And so how do we solve the problem? It's very simple. Philippians 2.5 tells us, let this mind. <laughs> Are you following me? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why do we need the mind of Jesus? Because if we want to know the Father, the only way that we can get to know the Father is by having the mind of Jesus. 
God wants us to, 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 God wants to teach us, Jesus wants to teach us to think like him. Are you following me? In other words, beloved, when we come to the scriptures, we should be thinking like Jesus would be thinking. We want to see the scriptures in the way Jesus would see the scriptures. An earnest, reverent study of the scriptures, Great Controversy, page 94. An earnest, reverent study of the scriptures brings the mind of the student in direct contact with the infinite mind. When we study the scriptures, the intent is to bring our minds in contact with the infinite mind. Why? Why should our mind come in contact with the infinite mind? We want to see that infinite mind. And the Bible tells us that by beholding, we become changed. God wants us to think like he does. He wants us to see the scriptures in the way that he does. As a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book of all, any other book or all other books combined. The greatness of its theme, the dignified simplicity of its utterances, the beauty of its imagery, quicken and uplift the thoughts as nothing else can. No other study can impart such mental power as does the effort to grasp the stupendous truths of revelation. Listen to the next sentence. The mind thus brought in contact with the thoughts of the infinite cannot but expand and strengthen. How many of you want your minds to expand and strengthen? When you look at the word of God, you want to, 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 to see the word of God in the way that God sees the word of God. Psalm 32 says, Psalm 32 verse 8 says this, I will teach thee and instruct thee in the way that thou shalt go. How many want to be te- taught and instructed by God himself? I will teach thee and instruct thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with, who can finish it for me? Mine eye. (laughs) I will guide thee with mine eye. I will give you my eye so that you will see things the way that I see them. (laughs) God wants us to see as he sees. The question was asked, or rather the question asked during the Savior's ministry, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned, does not indicate that Jesus was unable to read, but merely that he had not received a rabbinical education. Since he gained knowledge, as we may do, since he did what? As who? Oh, wow. (laughs) Did you miss that? (laughs) Since he gained knowledge, as we may do, his intimate acquaintance with the scriptures shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's word. By the way, I'm reading from Desire Pages, page 70. And spread out before him was the great library of God's created works. He who made all things studied the lessons which his own hand had written in the earth and sea and sky. Apart from the unholy ways of the world, he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. By the way, 
uh, I speak again Friday evening. Tonight's message or Friday afternoon sometime, I don't know when. Tonight's message is entitled the, the, the Nature of the Book. Friday's message is entitled The Book of Nature. So keep that in mind. From his earliest years, he, possessed, he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. For this, he found resources in nature. New ideas of ways and means flashed into his mind as he studied plant life and animal life. In other words, Jesus was always trying to find what? New ways to say old things. Isn't that nice? God is trying to encourage you. Hey, guys, find new ways to say old things. Continually, he was seeking to draw from things seen illustrations by which to present the living oracles of God. That's why you'd always hear Jesus saying things like, consider the lilies. <laughs> we'll talk more about that on Friday. <laughs> the parables by which during his ministry, by the way, did you know that Jesus had a favorite way to teach? Did anyone know that? That Jesus has a favorite method of teaching? Listen, who, did you read my notes? <laughs> Listen, the parables by which during his ministry he loved to teach his lessons of truth show how open his spirit was to the influence of nature and how he had gathered the spiritual teaching from the surroundings of his daily life. What was Jesus' favorite method of teaching? Parables. Can parables be confusing? It's kind of like taking, you know, what is a parable anyway? A parable is really a word picture. Now, who is it that likes pictures? Kids like pictures, don't they? Who creates pictures? Artists. Is Jesus the creator? <laughs> How many of you following me? Artists like to do things a certain way. <laughs> Artists like to present things in really neat and interesting and artistic kind of ways. And that's who Jesus was. He's the creator and he will present his truths, beloved, in absolutely amazingly creative ways. And now he says, I want you to think like I think. I want you to see like I see. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 tells us this. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose what? Mind is stayed on thee. Now, if you look at that word mind in your margins, if you have a KJV Bible, you will look at that word mind and notice that in the margin, they have for the meaning of that word imagination. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed on thee. Now, what do we do with the imagination? 
We picture things, don't we? Isn't that right? Could it be possible that Jesus enjoyed reaching people through the imagination? The sheep will be on one, the sheep will be on one side, the goats on the other. <laughs> Lord, you come back to save sheep and goats? <laughs> no, he was trying to, to, to illustrate, give a word picture or a parable an amazing statement here Christian service page 125 he had taught to meet the prejudices or the prejudiced minds and surprise them with illustrations what are illustrations illustrations that won their attention through the imagination he reached the hearts What did you, are you, are you with me? <laughs> Through the imagination, he reached the heart. His illustrations were taken from things of daily life, and although they were simple, they had in them a wonderful depth of meaning. The birds of the air, the lilies of the field, the sea, the shepherd, the sheep. The, with these objects, Christ illustrated immortal truth. And ever afterward, when his hearers chanced to see things in nature, they recalled his words, Christ's illustrations constantly repeated his lessons. See, that's why the Bible says in Matthew 13, 34, and 35 that he opened his mouth and spoke to them in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Jesus loved the parable. And if we want the mind of Christ, then we too should attempt to see the scriptures the way Jesus saw them. Signs of the Times, August 6, 1894. Ellen White says this, seated upon the Mount of Olives, which was over against the temple, with his disciples around him, Jesus seeks to make clear in prophetic discourse the deeper mysteries of the kingdom of God. Through his favorite medium, By parables, he endeavors to imprint upon their minds the special truths connected with his second coming to our world. What was Jesus' favorite mode, medium of teaching? Parables. Parable teaching was popular and commanded the respect and attention not only of the Jews, but of the people of other nations. No more effective method of instruction could he have employed. To minds that were open to the Holy Spirit, the significance of the Savior's teachings unfolded more and more. Mysteries grew clear, and that which had been hard to grasp became evident. Christ's Object Lessons, page 21. No more effective method of teaching could he have employed. Do you know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? If you don't like parables, you better get used to them. <laughs> the best way to understand the scripture is to think of it the way the author would think of it. 
And so the complete word study says this. Thus Christ sings about the salt of the earth, the lilies of the field, building on the sand, whited sepulchers, fishes of men, light under the bushel, a reed shaken in the wind, the green and dry trees, living waters, fields white unto harvest, a woman in travail, and so on and so forth may be classified as parables. Even his miracles may be considered parables in action. Now, how many times have you read over a miracle of Jesus and just went, wow, isn't that wonderful? Jesus can heal. <laughs> Did you know that there is greater significance to the miracles of Jesus? Notice with me Matthew, or rather Mark chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Mark chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Notice what the Bible says here. Why does this man... Thus speak blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? Verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned with them, within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easy to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Rise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. What is the true intent of the miracle Jesus performed? Was it to heal a man? What was it? To show that he had power to forgive sins. Desire of Ages, page 267. In the healing of the paralytic at Capernaum, Christ again taught the same truth. It was to manifest his power to forgive sins that the miracle was performed. And the healing of the paralytic also illustrates other precious truths. Have you been looking for those truths? Or have you just read over that story like, oh, what a nice story. Lazy eye. <laughs> How about Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 and 2? Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says here, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And the Lord, of course, makes him clean. Do you see anything there? Open thou mine eyes, Lord, <laughs> that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Do you see anything there? Desire of Ages, page 226. The work of Christ in cleansing the leper from his terrible disease is an illustration of his work in cleansing the soul from sin. Oh, wow. I didn't know the miracle had another meaning on top of the literal, obvious meaning. I didn't know that there was something there actually being illustrated. All right, you help me out. Jesus is on the, storm, is on the sea, on the boat. The storm is going, Lord, help us or we perish. Jesus rises up and says, peace be still. What a nice story. Jesus has control over the winds and over the boisterous seas. Wow. Is there something deeper there? You got it. You're beginning... Heavenly Places, page 17, some have stormy tempers. <laughs> but he who calmed the stormy sea of Galilee will say to the troubled heart, peace, be still. Therefore, beloved, when we read the miracles of Jesus, withered hands, uh, uh, the blind, 
the, the maim, the deaf. Uh, we can begin to say, okay, there is a deeper purpose to these stories than what appears on the surface. So we have Jesus' teachings as parables and his miracles as parables. Okay, well, what about the Old Testament? How did God teach in the Old Testament? I want you to notice with me Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, before we go there, let me read something else to you. Hold your place there. Listen to this. Jesus' manner, I'm sorry. <laughs> How many of you remember the, act, the, 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 the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree? Remember that story? He, the Bible just says he cursed the fig tree. The next day they came back and the disciples saw that there was nothing on the tree. The tree was withered. Well, wow, man, Jesus got, just got mad at this tree, cursed it, and now it doesn't grow fruit anymore. Listen to what Ellen White says about this story. The cursing of the fig tree was an acted parable. The barren tree flaunting its prestigious or uh, uh, pretentious foliage in the very face of Christ was a symbol of the Jewish nation. The Savior desired to make plain to his disciples the cause and the certainty of Israel's doom. For this purpose, he invested the tree with moral qualities and made it the, the, the expositor of divine truth. Desire, Desire of Ages, page 583. Jesus says, okay, tree, you're about to become Israel. Tree, you're Israel. And he uses this miracle as an acted parable. Jesus' manner of teaching was beautiful and attractive, and it was ever characterized by simplicity. He unfolded the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven through the use of figures and symbols with which his hearers were familiar. And the common people heard him gladly, for they could comprehend his words. There were no high-sounding words to use to understand which it was necessary to consult a dictionary. Now, I know we told you to bring dictionaries. <laughs> That's for another reason, okay? But Jesus used simplicity and yet depth. He illustrated the glories of the kingdom of God by the use of the experiences and occurrences of the earth. In compassionate love and tenderness, he cheered and comforted and instructed all who heard him, for grace was poured out upon his lips that he might convey the truth to men in most attractive ways, the treasures of truth. This is the manner in which he would have us present his truth to others. Christian Experiences, or Christian Experiences, page 126. But guess what? The insincere could not discern his parables. For example, Nicodemus, except you be born again. Born again? What kind of a crazy? Born again? <laughs> you must be joking. You didn't go to our schools. Born again. What kind of theology is that? Born again. And Jesus says to him, no, Nicodemus, I'm not telling you something in a physical sense. I'm telling you something in a spiritual sense. When Jesus said, uh, 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 except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, what did they say? What? Is this man crazy? What kind of theology is that? 
How are you going to give us your flesh and your blood to drink? Don't you know that's against the Hebrew? What are you talking about? They could not see the spiritual implications. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. What? This temple that's been being built for 46 years? What are you talking about? You see, they constantly were blinded to the depth of Jesus' words. Why? Because the Bible tells us that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Beloved, in order to understand the depth of the method of Christ's teaching, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how many dictionaries and how many languages you understand. <laughs> Did you catch that? You know what? Praise God for, for exegesis, but guess what? There are atheists that can look at the scripture and say, remember the seventh day calendar? Seventh day, Saturday? Oh, okay. Saturday is the Sabbath. Maybe you didn't catch that. <laughs> An atheist can read the Bible and see that the seventh day is the Sabbath. That's plainly stated there. It doesn't take some supernatural, all you have to do is know how to read. <laughs> and you can see it. But there are truths, beloved, that lie underneath the scripture. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to discern them. Spiritual things are spiritually Discern. Do not get me wrong. We should use our dictionaries and we should use our concordances and use everything to our ability. But ultimately, we must depend upon the spirit of God to reveal to us the full depth of his word. So we've got Jesus's words as parables, Jesus's miracles as parables. And now the question, how did God teach in the Old Testament and what was his method? I want you to notice with me, we were going to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, we are talking about the nature of the book. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, listen to what the Bible says here. Uh, verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was standing, which was a what, everyone? Figure. What is the first tabernacle that they're talking about? The what? The earthly sanctuary says here that the earthly sanctuary was a figure. You want to know what the Greek word for that word figure is? Parable. <laughs> parable. What? Yes. The sanctuary, a parable. Oh, wow. So not only does Jesus teach in parable mode in the New Testament, but God gave a sanctuary and said, this is a parable. Lambs and blood and colors and gold and silver and feast days. All these things were symbols. Jesus said, if you've seen me, My father likes parables too. <laughs> Go back to Hebrews 8 verse 8. Hebrews 8 verse 5. 
who the priest talking about the priests of the Old Testament who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished uh, of God when he was about to make the, the tabernacle for see he saith that thou maketh all things according to the pattern shewed thee in the mount the word pattern is the Greek word tupos or type what, we, what are we simply seeing here? That the, that the Old Testament sanctuary is a parable, a symbol, a type. In fact, Adventist, uh, um, I'm sorry, Acts of the Apostles, page 14 says this. Through the teachings of, of the sacrificial service, Christ was to be uplifted before all nations and all who would look to him, that all who would look to him should live. Christ was the foundation of the Jewish economy. The whole system of types and symbols was a compacted prophecy of the gospel, a presentation in which were bound up the promises of redemption. <laughs> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, pastor. Well, what about the historical accounts of scripture? I want you to notice something with me. Go with me quickly to the book of Galatians chapter 4. You know, this is really Army Bible Camp because it's hot in here. And we are bearing. <laughs> Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And I want you to notice with me verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was born by promise. You remember the story Paul's talking about here? Who wrote that story? Moses wrote that story. Now I want you to notice what Paul says next. Which things are an? A what? A what, Paul? <laughs> an allegory? How dare you, Paul? Was it Moses' intent? To make that to write that story as an allegory? Hello? <laughs> was it Moses' intent to write when he wrote that story? Was he writing it as an allegory or as an historical event? Obviously, an historical event. But Paul takes that Old Testament historical narrative and says this, by the way, is an allegory. He wasn't saying it wasn't true, it wasn't literal. He was just saying beyond the actual story, God had a lesson in this story. The intent of God was greater than the intent of Moses. By the way, who gave Paul this interpretation? The Holy Spirit. Would we argue with the spirit and say, spirit? <laughs> spirit, let me explain something to you. This was not the intent of Moses, okay? <laughs> no, 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 no. The spirit of God, beloved, gives Paul this interpretation. Why? Because spiritual things are spiritual, spiritually discerned. In that same chapter, 1 Corinthians, Paul says there, we have the mind of Christ. Why are spiritual things spiritually discerned? Who are they discerned by? Those who have the mind of Christ. How about another one? Go with me quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. 
Listen to what the Bible says here. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the, the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Was it Moses' intent when he wrote of the Exodus and the children of Israel marching through the Red Sea, was it his intent to indicate that that had anything to do with baptism? No. And yet, somebody tells Paul, Paul, this is an analogy of baptism. Who was it that told Paul that? The Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit likes to take stories of the Old Testament, what might we safely assume with many of the other stories in the Old Testament that we just read over and say, isn't that a nice bedtime story? Might there be further implications in other stories? How about Peter? Peter takes a story of Noah and says, hey, by the way, when Noah and the eight got on the ark, or Noah and the seven got on the ark, this was a symbol of baptism remember that first Peter was it Moses intent when he recorded the story of Noah to say that Noah being saved is kind of the same way that we are saved by water the Spirit of God takes that which was literal and applies spiritual depth to it which now lets you and I know man let's go back to these Old Testament stories and really get rid of the lazy eye Let's see what illustrations, what truths God is trying to speak to us through these stories. Peter said, I'm sorry, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, you shall receive no sign but the sign of Jonah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jesus takes the literal story of Jonah and make spiritual applications to it. In the Old Testament, Elijah performs a miracle. If you were to read it, go there with me very quickly, 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and you know what? I pray that you came here with the intent to study the Bible. Good. So as we're turning from text to text, I just pray that you're not like, man, this sure is a lot of text. That's part of the boot camp thing, you know? <laughs> like serious, rigorous. <laughs> okay, just checking. Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 2. And uh, we are now about to look at an Old Testament miracle. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. 2 Kings 2, 19 to 20. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth into the spring of waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed the waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. How many of you ever read that before? Raise your hand. How many of you read that and as fast as you read it, you just kept going because you're like, well, there must be nothing here. Uh, what, why would God put this in the scripture? Maybe he just needed space like fillers. So this must be just a filler. Okay? Lazy eye. Lazy eye. Listen to this. Prophets and Kings, page 231. Many, say that word with me, everyone. Many. 
Many are the spiritual lessons to be gathered from the story of the healing of the waters. What? Come on, man. You got to be kidding me. No way. The new cruise, the salt, the spring are all highly symbolic. In casting salt into the British spring, Elisha taught the same spiritual lesson imparted centuries later by the Savior to his disciples when he declared, you are the salt. <sighs> I knew that, Pastor. I knew it. I promise you I knew it. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. The salt mingling with the polluted spring purified its waters and brought life and blessing where before there had been blighting and death. Open thou mine eyes, Lord. Help me to see as you see. So we've got the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, the, the sanctuary lessons of the Old Testament, and even the miracles of the Old Testament, not to mention Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, which are all highly metaphoric. Well, at least we have the book of Daniel. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what are the prophetic chapters of Daniel? Daniel 2, symbolism. Daniel 4, uh, symbolism. Daniel 7, symbolism. Daniel 8, symbolism. Daniel 9, symbolism. Daniel 10, symbolism. Daniel 11, symbolism. Daniel 12, symbolism. Well, at least there's some historical chapters in Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. What happened in Daniel chapter 1? Daniel refused to drink the wine of Babylon. Who, me? <laughs> well, at least there's Daniel chapter 3. That's a historical account. Oh, yes, the image. Beloved, in order to, to get the depth, the nature of the book, we must understand the love of the author. <laughs> so we've got the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We've got the prophecies of Daniel, not to mention the prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. All these highly symbolic. We get over to the New Testament. We've got the teachings of Christ. We've got the miracles of Christ. We get over to the writings of Paul. We've got all these analogies like the woman representing the church. Uh, husbands, love your wives even, even as Christ loved the church. The old man and the new man. All these illustrations. The nature of the book determines how we look at it. And then we get to the book of Revelation. <laughs> and, if, and if that were not enough listen to what Ellen White says here the time of test is just upon us for the loud cry of the third angel has already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ a sin pardoning redeemer this is the beginning of the light of the angel whose glory shall fill the whole earth for it is the work of everyone to whom the message of warning has come to lift up Jesus to present him to the world as revealed in types and symbols 
and manifested in the revelations of the prophets as unveiled in the lessons given to his disciples and in the wonderful miracles wrought for the sons of men. Search the scriptures, for they are they which testify of him. First Selected Messages, page 362. If, if I were to get Ellen White to sum this up, she would say, as she says in Desire of Ages, page 212, in every page, whether history or precept or prophecy, the Old Testament scriptures are irradiated with the glory of the Son of God. Amen. Do you understand that? In every story you read, you should be attempting to find who? Jesus. The Son of God. The word of God, beloved, is living, it is quick, it is powerful, it doesn't end. It's like searching an atom or studying a, a cell or studying science. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. The more revelation we see, the more we know that the book has a divine designer. Amen. <laughs> divine. You see the imprint of God. As you begin to unfold these deep and powerful truths, beloved, listen, there's a reason why the Bible says John chapter 3, verse, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 6, rather. John chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to what the Bible says here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Pause right there. You know what this is saying? It's saying you can't control the spirit. The spirit blows where it wants to blow. When we come to the word of God, beloved, we cannot define how the spirit is going to teach us. We must come to the word of God and say, spirit, teach me. No human reasoning, conflict and courage, page 292. No human reasoning of the most learned men can define the operations of the Holy Spirit upon human minds and characters, yet they can see the effect upon the life and actions. Conflict and courage, page 292. The Spirit of God is to move us. Do we come up with all kinds of crazy things then? No, the Bible says, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to... I just found out a great truth. Guess what? Jesus was really a female. I have the evidence to prove it. No, but to the law and to the testimony, close your ears. <laughs> Don't listen. No need to fear, beloved. If you understand the word of God, there's no need to fear. Everything must be tested by the word of God. No matter how much someone says, oh, the spirit gave this to me, the spirit will never contradict the word. The spirit will never reveal new light, never contradicts or, or, or shuts down old light. It just doesn't happen. Jesus said he came to magnify the law. Hebrew for Torah, meaning the Bible. He came to magnify. You ever take out a magnifying glass and look at something? Read the Bible like that. Not with a literal magnifying. Read it with a magnified concept I want to close with an illustration for you listen to what Ellen White says 
Councils on Sabbath School work, page 34. Great truths which have been neglected and unappreciated for ages will be revealed by the Spirit of God. And new meaning will flash out of familiar texts. A demonstration, but first a challenge. How many of you brought your notepads? Your pocket-sized notepads. This is what I want you to do with your pocket-sized notepads. You're going to walk around for the next five days with your pocket-sized notepad in your pocket. You're going to have your uh, pen in your hand or in your pocket. And you're going to ask the Lord, Lord, I'm going to keep my mind stayed on you. I am waiting for you to bring some new truth or illustration to me. So I'm going to be working with you. I'm going to be thinking, and when I, when I get something, I'm going oh. Let me simply tell you, that's how I began to study the Bible. When I came into this church, I had no one to teach me. I read everything I could from Joe Cruz. So I said, Joe Cruz was my teacher. Didn't even know he was, you know, he had died. I can't wait to meet him one day. Okay? <laughs> and then after I read everything I could from Joe Cruz, and I'd highlight my Bible, and then uh, 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 I ran into a book called, uh, entitled Lessons on Faith by A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner. And as I began to read this book and see how they began to, how they would break down scripture, I was just like, oh my God, who are these guys? I can't wait to meet them. <laughs> and so I would read books and read books. And by the way, one of the, 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 the books that most affected my method of Bible study is a book by a man named Lewis Ware. Lewis Ware, the name of the book is entitled The Certainty of the Third Angel's Message. I believe you can get that book from Amazing Facts. If you can get a hold of that book, get a hold of that book. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. The, the Certainty of the Third Angel's Message by Lewis F. Ware, W-E-R-E. -E. Okay, so take your pad. And every time and I would take my pad out and I would just be walking around just, you know, and I'd be at work. You know, I used to work in Staples and I'd be in Staples putting up boxes. <gasps> Consider the boxes. <laughs> One day I'm going to become a preacher and man, I'm going to use this. Right. That's how it was for me. Literally around the clock. Around the clock. God wants to teach you to think. Keep your mind stayed on him. Okay, now, let's go to a familiar text. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And we're getting ready to wrap this up. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. When you get there, say amen. Notice with me, verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Okay. <laughs> That's a nice text. We've seen it. We've read it before. Nothing particular there. It's just telling what happened. But beloved, I believe that if you take a look at the scripture, if you, as with many scriptures, you, you, the, the Holy Spirit will begin to enlighten your mind to see principles of truth that are found through the Spirit. 
You see, what comes to your mind when you look at this? Here John is, the revelator, he sees Jesus and he falls at his feet as dead. Where else did that happen in scripture? It happened in the book of Daniel. Okay? Now, now let me ask you, what, does anyone get anything from that? John fell at the feet of Jesus as dead when he saw him. What do you get? You're kind of going, because you're like, I don't want to. Reverence, very good. Overwhelming. Submission. Loving the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledgement. You see how all, none of these things are wrong. Guess what? It's all there. But she would have never read this before and said, oh, this is just, you know, the power of God. <clears throat> the awesome. Unbelievable. Amen. The unbelievable power of God. What truly happens when a man sees Jesus? <laughs> Come on, man. So much. What truly happens when a man sees Jesus? <laughs> Beloved, this, this simple little, just, you know, let me tell you, can I, can I tell you a story? One day I was in my, and uh, this is before I became a Christian. I was in the mall in Freeport, Long Island, which is where I used to live. I was in the mall one day and I was walking by, you know, and um, when I was walking through this mall and I saw like a bunch of people standing and they were looking at this picture and everybody was going, ooh, wow, look at that, ooh. And I'm looking at these people like, you guys are crazy. What are you looking at? So I walk over to them and I look at this picture that they're looking at and it's like a, a frame and then there's just a whole bunch of zigzag lines. And I'm looking at the thing, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, you guys are, maybe have lost your mind or something. And then someone says to me, no, 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 you got to do this thing with your eye, and when you do this thing with your eye, it's a 3D picture, man, you got to see it. So I'm like, oh, really? Okay, and I'm there like. <laughs> you know, and trying to do all kinds of things, and then suddenly, I don't know what I did, but I did something funny with my eyes, and all of a sudden, guess what? It was a 3D picture, and it was ships and boys, and it was, when I moved, it moved, and I was like, oh, ooh, oh, ooh, and I can imagine people looking by like, this guy's crazy, what, is, what does he see? <laughs> Beloved, many of us look at the scripture and go, all I see is a bunch of zigzag lines. But when we begin to see as Jesus sees, when we begin to see as the Spirit sees, deep things will be revealed to us in the word of God. Things that are just mind-blowing. What happens when a man sees Jesus? He dies. He dies. Well, you see, this opens up a whole new train of thought for us. Because now if you were to go with me, for example, to Daniel chapter 10, verse 8, Daniel chapter 10, verse 8, and notice what Daniel did when that happened. Daniel chapter 10, verse 8, the Bible says here, Therefore I, left, I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me to corruption, and I retained no strength. When Daniel gets a, a behold a vision of God, he says, there was my comeliness was turned to 
Corruption. What happens when a man sees God? <laughs> you're all your good and all your man. I'm a pretty good guy. What does it turn into? Corruption. And any strength you thought you had is gone. You are weak in the presence of God. Mind, character, personality, 162. Just to make sure we're on the right track, listen to what Ellen White says on this verse. He who beholds Christ in his self-denial, his loneliness of heart, will be constrained to say, as did Daniel when he beheld one like the sons of men, my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. Ellen White makes the application personal. What happens when a man sees God? He dies. How about Isaiah? Remember Isaiah saw Jesus? And when he saw him, what did he say? Woe is me for I am what? Undone. That word undone is the Hebrew destroyed. He said I'm destroyed. It's like I was saying I'm dead. <laughs> what happens when a man sees God? He dies. Bible echo on this verse, listen to what she says. The seraphim dwelt in the presence of Jesus, yet they veiled their wings with their wings, their faces, and their feet. They looked upon the king in his beauty and covered themselves. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, his soul was prostrated in the dust. Because of the unclouded vision, he was graciously permitted to behold. He was filled with self-abasement. This will ever be the effect upon the human mind when the beams of the Son of Righteousness shine gloriously upon the soul. The light of the glory of God will reveal all the hidden evil and bring the soul to the place of humble confession. As the increase in glory of Christ is revealed, the human agent will see no glory in himself for the concealed deformity of his soul is laid bare and self-esteem and self-glorying are extinguished. Self dies and Christ lives. I fell at his feet as what? Dead. <laughs> Self dies. Bible echo. December 3, 1894. So then, so then, if all this is true, then it is also true what God said to Moses when Moses said, God, show me your glory. What did God tell Moses? <laughs> Let me just get excited for you now. What did God tell Moses? No man can see my face and what? Live. How many of you see that verse in a new light? What should be the desire of every Christian? To see his face. So that we can die. <laughs> Is it just me? No? You get it too? Yeah? Yeah? So, so, then, what is the answer to the man who cries out, like Paul did in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What is the answer? Paul wanted to escape the flesh. He wanted to, to why am I having so much trouble? What is the answer? See God and die. See God and die. Well, if that is true, 
then I want you to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. I Trust me, we're coming around the bend on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. A text that we as Adventists have always seen in one way and one way only. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Notice what the scripture says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We take this verse and we say, this is what the verse does not mean. <laughs> the verse does not mean that when you die, you go straight to be with God. Right? But could there be a spiritual truth in this verse that we've missed? Could it be really true that to be absent, from, what does it mean to be absent from the body anyway? It means to be what? To be dead. So could it be true that if we are absent from the body, then and only then, <laughs> can we be present with the Lord? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> but wait a minute. Death is not the Christian's hope. What is the Christian's hope? Resurrection. In other words, we know that when a person die, dies, they don't go straight to be with God. They must be what? They must be resurrected, right? It's death. And then when he comes again and resurrects us, then we are with the Lord, right? So what does that tell us about the Christian experience? Not only must a Christian die... <laughs> Colossians 3 1 come on let's look at this trust me we're coming around the bend this is boot camp I don't want to yell at you but we are this is rugged training here Colossians 3 verse 1 if you then be what risen with Christ seek those things which are above where where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God set your affection on things above not on things of the earth for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God the Bible tells us here that not only must we die we should also be what resurrected and so then it is true that to be absent from the body <laughs> is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says when Jesus comes, he's going to call us into the air so, we that, so that we will meet him where? In the air. Do you know that Ephesians 2.6 tells us that we are now in the air with Christ in heavenly places? Why? Because we have died, been resurrected, and called up into heavenly places. Could the resurrection, the literal resurrection, be a lesson for what the Christian must be experiencing on a daily basis now. Amen. For you are dead, the Bible says. In fact, Romans tells us that, that the old body is crucified. The Christian should be having an out-of-body Yeah. 
So it is true that when John says in 1 John 3, whosoever sins has not seen God. Is it true? What is the evidence of seeing God? You're dead. <laughs> Are you following me? We're looking at verses we've always seen, and now we're seeing them in a new light. Old truth, I'm not saying anything new. We're just seeing old truth in new ways. We haven't seen him. Why? Because we're not dead. Why haven't we seen him? Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us our sins have hidden his Now, if that is true, is the opposite true? Paul says to be at home in the body is to be absent from the Lord. <laughs> Are you at home in the body? <laughs> Are you at home in the flesh? Are you relaxed? Are you just kicking back in the flesh? To be at home in the body is to be absent from the Lord. It's a fight, a continual fight daily. In fact, we are told that by beholding, beholding who? We become what? Changed. What does the Bible say? We shall be changed in a moment. Thank you. In the twinkling of an eye, I am really almost finished. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, listen, we are changed in a moment. Listen to what Ellen White says on this. The moment, the what everyone? True faith in the merits of the costly anointing sacrifices exercised. Claiming Christ as a personal savior, that moment the sinner is justified before God. Are we changed in a moment now? The moment we accept Christ, we are justified, changed. And now listen to what she says justification is. Are you ready for this? I am. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust. You didn't get that. <laughs> you didn't look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 and see a picture of justification by faith. <laughs> John sees Jesus and he falls before his feet as dead. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. When men see their own nothingness, why did John fall? He saw his own nothingness. Why did Isaiah fall? He saw his own nothingness. Why did Daniel fall? He saw his own nothingness. Then they are prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. When they begin to praise and exalt God all day long, then by beholding they become changed into the same image. What is regeneration? It is revealing to man what is in his own real nature and that in himself he is worthless. This is what John experienced when he saw Jesus. Special Testimonies, AO9, page 62. Listen. Where do we see Jesus? In this book. 
The reason why many of us are not falling down in the dust going, oh my, <laughs> is because we have not truly seen him in this book. Often, Ellen White said, I lay down my pen and say, impossible, impossible for finite minds to grasp eternal truths and deep holy principles and to express their living import. I stand ignorant and helpless. The rich current of thought takes possession of my whole being and I lay down my pen and say, Oh Lord, I am infinite, I am finite, I am weak and simply ignorant. Thy grand and holy revelations I can never find language to express. Just as John fell, just as Daniel fell, just as Isaiah fell, when Ellen White opened this book, Have you found truths in this book that have caused you to say, have you seen Jesus? Because if you see him, self dies. Beloved, tonight we have come to understand the nature of this book that we hold in our hands. It is infinite. It is ever-expanding, and it is best understood when we see Jesus in this book. When we think, when we see this book as he sees it. Is it your desire tonight to let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus? Heavenly Father, You've spoken to our hearts tonight. You have granted us a glimpse of who you are through the nature of your book. Lord, help us to have a mind such as yours. Guide us, Lord, with your eye, not our own. Lord, help us to see wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, let us know that though we may not have letters, your book was not written for the scholar alone, but for the poor, for the hungering, and for the thirsting. May we catch a glimpse, Lord, of you through this book that with John, with Isaiah, and with Daniel, we may fall as one dead by the glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through his word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080. That's 805-226-8080. Thank you and God bless.